Amen. Thanks, team. Well, good evening. How are we? Good? Ooh, come on. I like it. Uh, well, hey, my name is Josh Story, and I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. Uh, so, man, it is uh, a pleasure to be able to open the word with you guys tonight. Um, if you will, open up with me to Luke chapter 18. Uh, Luke 18 will be uh, continuing in our series tonight in Luke. Um, now, I don't know uh, where you grew up or what kind of spiritual context that you uh, grew up in. Um, for me personally, I grew up here in the Bible Belt, um, and the Bible Belt is just weird. Um, it's just a weird place to kind of grow up, especially from like spiritual context, because everyone kind of assumes that they're a Christian because they're born in the South and they vote Republican and um, all the stuff. And it's like, well, I'm a Christian then, right? Because that's kind of what, what you do. Um, but but when you find yourself in the Bible Belt, in just a kind of really just general spiritual context, you find that there's a lot of different ideas about Christianity. Um, specifically, uh, there's a bunch of different ideas about man, what's actually required of us to follow Jesus, right? Um, what's actually required when it comes to um, following Christ. And so, uh, for instance, for me, um, I grew up in a context where what was required was morality, or at least that's what I was taught, right? That, that what's required to follow Christ is morality. So, man, if you, uh, if you don't drink, if you don't cuss, if you don't smoke, you don't have sex before marriage, if you don't listen to R. Kelly, if you uh, don't, like, watch R-rated movies unless they're about the passion of the Christ, right? There's, like, all, all these things of, like, man, if you do these things and don't do these things, then you're kind of a good moral person, then man, then, then you're good because what's required of you is morality, right? And so that's kind of how I grew up. And then I kind of went off to college um, where I went to Texas A&M. And uh, come on, all right. Sorry, I just lost half the audience there. Half of you guys are like, I'm not even listening now. That's, that's the worst. Um, sorry about that. Uh, family, you know? Um, but, but I went, in, and a and this, this weird place where um, it's like this kind of really cool, trendy Christian bubble where it's like cool to be a, be a Christian. And, and so I show up, and I find that, um, man, what's, what's required, at least externally, is that, there, that you have to kind of do these kind of like external Christian things. So like all like the hyper-spiritual people were wearing chacos, and I was like... I, those are the goofiest looking things ever, but I guess I have to buy a pair of Chacos if I want to really follow Christ, right? And so then you start buying Chacos, and then you realize you have to learn how to play Frisbee, which is the dumbest sport of all time, and you're like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, and then, like, you start abbreviating your cuss words and stuff like that, right? So, like, guys are walking around, they're like, F, dude, I just want to kick, kick his A. I'm like, you sound like a moron, right? And so it's like, but there's just kind of all this kind of external stuff. And I was like, man, is this what's required to follow Jesus? I guess it is. And so, and so there's just kind of all these different ideas floating around. And so, man, maybe you grew up in that context, or maybe you um, grew up in a context that was completely different, right? Like I had friends who grew up in a really hyper-spiritual context where, man, if, if you didn't um, worship in a certain kind of expressive way, or if you didn't pray in tongues, or you didn't kind of do some, some more charismatic stuff, then you weren't really following Christ. Or, or, or maybe you, you grew up in a context where there was like no spiritual at all, and just the idea of following Jesus is still kind of fuzzy and weird, right? Um, I mean, wherever you fall, the point is, I think there's a bunch of ideas floating around about, man, what's actually required of us to follow Jesus, right? And, and so I think that forces us to ask a question, man, like, what is required of us to follow Christ, right? Because, because Scripture is clear that there is something that is required of us, but, but what is that, right? And, and I think that, uh, man, if, if we were to be really honest with ourselves, I think deep down, we all want to know the answer to that question. Right? Like, I would even venture to bet that if you're in the room tonight, you, you want to know the answer to that question. Because when if you're a believer, then there's the, the sense of, man, am I, am I missing it? 
Like, am I doing this thing right? Like, like, have I been wasting my time? Is this even worth it, man? What's actually required of me to follow Christ? Or or if you're not a believer, man, maybe you're in here and and you're not totally sold on this whole Jesus guy, but you're at least curious about it. I mean, I kind of, I'm curious, I'm I'm intrigued. I want to kind of know what it actually takes to follow Christ. Like, if I'm going to give my life to follow this guy, like, I want to know what's actually required of it, right? And so I think that is the question that we all kind of deep down want to know the answer to. And, and the, the cool thing is that tonight we're going to see this passage about Jesus where Jesus explains what's required to follow him. And here's the good news. It's not morality. It's not hyper-spirituality. You don't even have to own a pair of chacos, right, which is awesome. Um, although they're so functional, guys. They really are. Um, <laughs> function over fashion, you know. Um, but there is an answer to what it, man, what does it require to follow Christ? And Jesus is going to answer that question for us tonight. So with that being said, man, let's, let's dive in um, to Luke 18, starting in verse 18. It says this, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. All right, stop right there for a sec. Um, so <clears throat> this guy, this, this rich young ruler, he approaches Jesus and, and he asks him a question that on the surface just seems like a kind of normal run-of-the-mill question. But this question is... Um, it's subtle, but it's really insightful to how this guy works, okay? Um, what we kind of see right off the bat is that this guy has actually bought this idea that what's required of him is morality, right? So, so he comes and he says, good teacher. And, and, and so he leads with this idea of, hey, you are a good guy, right? And so he sees Jesus and he says, hey, like, I've seen this guy. Um, he, he, he's a really good guy. He's moral. He's doing a bunch of really cool things. So, so I'm, I'm convinced that this guy is going to heaven. So, so surely he knows if I'm I'm okay, right? And that's really kind of what he's asking underneath all of this. He says, hey, good teacher, am I okay? Am, am I doing okay? Like, am I on the right track? And, and Jesus kind of senses this, and he begins to kind of prod at this idea that morality is what's required. And he says, hey, like, why, why do you call me good? Because only God alone is good. And so right off the bat, he's beginning to kind of deconstruct this idea that, that morality is not what's required. Right? But then he kind of continues to prod him more, and he says, well, what do the commandments say? Right? Like, what do the commandments say? And he kind of starts to listen and says, hey, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. And, and, and this guy, he, he interjects, and he says, hey, I've, I've kept all these from my youth. And, and I, I don't know why, but every time I read this, I, I laugh, um, because I envision this guy being, like, way more excited than he should be, right? He's like, I do that, right? He's like, that's me. He's like, all day, baby. I do this all day. And so he's just like, he's just really pumped. He's like, I do this, right? And so, like, but, but I get it. Because if, if you're to ask Jesus, hey, like, what's required of me? Like, what must I do? And he begins to list off the Ten Commandments, which is morality 101, right? Like, that's awesome. Like, that's incredible, right? Like, don't murder Check, got that in the bag, right? Don't commit adultery. I haven't slept with anybody's wife. Um, that's awesome. Uh, don't steal, right? I mean, unless we're talking about like ordering a water cup and then getting a Coke at like Chipotle, then we're good, right? Because that's not stealing. It's only a buck 50. It's a ripoff anyway. Um, like that's, yeah, so, so yeah, we're totally good, right? So I mean, this, this is like morality 101, right? And so he's like, yes, like, I mean, I've kept this 
from my youth. Man, this is incredible, right? And so he's really excited, but Jesus is actually about to drop just a major bomb on this dude. So look at verse um, 22. Oh, no, sorry. Yeah, verse, verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And that's a heavy statement. This guy comes, and, he, and he's a moral guy. He's a good dude. He's, he's doing a lot of, I mean, he's followed the Ten Commandments since he was a kid. He's nailing it from the morality standpoint. Yet that's not, that's not what's required of him. Jesus says, hey, I want you to sell everything that you have and come follow me. And so what does Jesus require? Everything. Jesus requires everything. But more specifically, he requires our heart and our affections. And I'll show you how I, how I got that. I think it'd be really easy to, to read this text and, and just kind of assume that, that the big idea is about money, right? That like G- Jesus is somehow, he's like anti-money, but, but man, I, although money is addressed, I think it would be amiss if we didn't understand that in the bigger context, Jesus is talking not as much about money as he is about idolatry. He's talking about idolatry. You see, because when Jesus begins to list the Ten Commandments, right, he, he only lists the last half, which means that the first half is implied. And so he says, hey, what did the commandments say? And he starts to list, list them. He's like, man, I've done all those things. And then Jesus goes, well, then sell everything you have and follow me. And he can't do it. And what that reveals is that he hasn't actually been keeping all the commandments. Because the very first commandment says, and let there be no other gods before me. And so immediately he begins to say, no, no, you're, you're missing it. And what's revealed is that money has become this guy's God. Money has become this guy's idol that he's holding on to. Right? And so if you're um, kind of newer to the, the church scene and don't understand what the word um, idol means, that's a really great question. Um, so let me kind of unpack that. What I mean when I say an idol is that an idol is anything that is a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. Okay, an idol is a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing, right? So, so something that is a good thing that we, that we elevate to a status that, that we convince ourselves that, man, this thing and this thing alone is going to satisfy me. It's going to fulfill me. It's going to meet all of my needs. Man, my life will be perfect if I get this one thing. It's a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. So, so for instance, um, in the case of our brother here, man, he, the money has become his idol, right? Now, granted, like, money is not inherently evil. Like, money's not a bad thing. Like, we live in a culture that requires money to survive, right? Like, like, I need money to pay my bills and to eat and to buy clothes. Like, I need money for my basic necessities, right? So money's not a bad thing. In fact, in Proverbs, it says that if you don't work, you don't eat, right? Like, like money's not a bad thing. Yet, we can take money out of its rightful place and elevate it to a place where it becomes ultimate, and we convince ourselves that, man, this thing is going to satisfy me. This thing is going to fulfill me, and then we fall into idolatry. 
right? But, but idolatry isn't just about money. Man, anything in the world can become an idol, right? Like relationships can become an idol. Power can become an idol. Success can become an idol. Sex can become an idol. Man, there's all these things that, man, when we take a good thing and we put it in an ultimate place and deceive ourselves into thinking that it satisfies, we got a problem. And so what Jesus is doing here is, is he points out the idolatry in this guy's heart, right? And the reason this is such a big deal is because we can't chase two things at one time. Okay, we can't chase two things at one time. I'm, like, and that's, that's not some kind of spiritual comment. That's just physics, right? Like, I can't physically, like, chase after two things that are going in completely different directions. I have to pick one, right? And so what, what it comes down to is that, man, when we chase two things, we're, we're going to have to pick something. And what typically wins out is not Jesus, but it's the idol. Right? Because we are sinful people with a sinful bent, and we deceive ourselves so constantly that, man, this thing is going to satisfy. So I can't chase relationships in Jesus at the same time. Like, I can't flat out pursue money in Jesus at the same time. I can't flat out pursue um, power or prestige or status in Jesus at the same time because one of those things is going to win out, and it's not typically Jesus, if I'm being honest. Right? And so we can't physically chase two things at the same time. And so that's what Jesus is doing in this text. He says, hey, if you really want to follow me, you can't chase me and money at the same time. you got to pick one. And he hears this, and he can't do it. The text says that he hears it, and he becomes very sad because he was extremely rich. In the Greek, Luke does this really cool thing stylistically where, where he compares the level of his sadness to the level of his wealth. And so it literally reads, and he was exceedingly sorrowful because he was exceedingly rich. His sadness matched the amount of his money, which was a lot. And so he's sitting there and he hears, he said, man, I, I wanna know what I have to do. And Jesus says, let go of everything. Like, follow me and me alone. And he can't do it. And he's sad. You know why? Because this guy can't envision a scenario where Jesus is better than his money. This guy can't envision a scenario where Jesus is somehow better than this idol that he's holding on to. And I think that's huge for us to understand because if we were to really boil down the root of all our, our idolatry, it comes down to the fact that, man, we don't actually believe that Jesus is better than the things that we crave. Like, if I have put relationships on a pedestal to where I think, man, if, if I'm just in a relationship, that's going to satisfy me, that's going to fulfill me, then when it comes down to relationships in Jesus, I'm going to choose relationships because I've deceived myself into thinking that there's no possible scenario where, where Jesus is better than a relationship. Like, if, if I believe that, that status is going to satisfy me, that if, if I can just reach a certain level at work or a certain career path, if I can have a certain job, then, then man, w when it's between that and Jesus, I choose that because I can't envision a scenario where Jesus is better than that. Right? And that's what happens. We see this all the time where we elevate things to a certain level, and we can't imagine a scenario where he's better. And so maybe you're in the room tonight, and, and that's where you are. And like maybe you are in an absolutely destructive relationship, and it's not healthy. And, and Jesus is saying, you need to get out. You need to follow me because you haven't been. But you can't because you've deceived yourself into thinking that there's no scenario, even as unhealthy as this relationship is, that it is better to be so with Jesus than to be in this relationship. That's destructive. Now, I don't know where you are. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's, um, I, I don't know. 
But my, my fear is that there are some of us in the room who aren't following Jesus wholeheartedly because we've deceived ourselves into thinking, man, there's no scenario where I can actually believe that this is better. But man, if I can be honest with us for a second, I know this is church, but I'm gonna try, try and be honest. That couldn't be further from the truth. That couldn't be further from the truth. I th- so often we, we, we view this thing as, man, if, if I let go of this thing, I'm gonna lose something. I'm gonna miss out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lose this thing. But the reality is that, man, when we let go of idols, we don't lose anything, but we actually gain everything. Like, we don't lose anything, we gain everything because we have no concept for what's going on over here. We have no understanding of how much better life is with Jesus. So the reality is that, man, when we actually let go of our idols, what we find is that what we thought was gonna satisfy is disappointing and pathetic compared to the joy that comes from knowing and walking with Jesus. And C.S. Lewis has this quote in this book called The Weight of Glory. And he says this, and and this just gets me every time because this is me. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I, I read that, man, and I, that gets me every time because I'm that kid. Like, I'm the ignorant child who, who I'm just so content with my filth. I'm so content with, with what I think is going to satisfy, and, and there's just eternal, infinite joy that's offered to me. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm good over here because I purely don't even have an understanding. I have no concept for how joyful it is just to know and be intimately known by Christ. And, and so... But the reality is, man, that's not how it works. I mean, we miss out when we choose these things, when we refuse to let go of these certain idols. Because the reality is, man, there's so much more joy in knowing and walking with Christ. And I'll tell you how I began to figure that out. Um, I uh, grew up with a really bad stutter. Um, and when I say like a bad stutter, I mean like a bad stutter. I have to, to clarify that because I don't stutter all that much now. Um, I, I couldn't finish a sentence. It was really like painful to, to listen to. Um, but, but when you grow up with a stutter, um, people don't really expect a lot out of you. Um, so much of what we do that constitutes success requires the ability to communicate. And so when you don't have the ability to communicate, the bar kind of gets lowered for you. And it's like, ah, he's probably not going to do a whole lot. And so from a really early age, I kind of felt that. Um, I felt like the expectations for me were really low. And so probably around eight or nine years old, I began to develop this deep-seated desire to be impressive. And all I wanted to do in the world was be impressive. And so I began to kind of figure out, man, what can I do to, to be impressive and to kind of rise above the, these kind of expectations for me? And so, so I tried sports. Um, and I was, I was decent at sports, but I wasn't going to go play college ball. Um, I tried school, but I was decent. Again, like I wasn't going to Harvard. Or, so I was like, man, what, what can I do? And, and I discovered music. Um, and I went to a really small school, and so I became the best musician by default because there wasn't anybody else who played anything. Um, and so it was, a, it was a home run for me. And, uh, and so I, I started playing, and, and I began to find my identity in music. And, and people were like, oh, Josh is that kind of artsy dude. He writes songs. And, you know, when you're in high school, they're like, oh, my gosh, you write songs. And it's like, they're, and they're awful. They're not good songs. They're 
but they're songs. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there, and, and I, I began to find, man, th- this is what's going to give me life. This is what's going to fulfill me. This is what's going to um, bring to me all the things that I crave because, man, I, I just want to be impressive, right? So, so I go off to college, and I just chase it full out. And, and I have all these goals, and I kind of meet, meet these goals. And my, my junior year, things kind of start to, to get rolling to the point where a door opens up for me to go to Nashville after college. And so I start senior year with just this intention of, man, I'm going to go to Nashville. I'm going to be a songwriter. I'm going to do that thing. It's going to be awesome, right? And that's where I'm, I'm, I'm going to go. And what I kind of just kind of realized in hindsight is that, man, like music initially kind of started off with I, I had a love for music but it quickly became a love for what music could give me, right? And that was this idol of just being impressive. So I start senior year off of that. November of my senior year, however, um, I get a phone call, and my dad passed away. And it was one of those things that just absolutely rocked me to the core. Um, it wasn't expected. It wasn't one of those things that we saw coming. It just, it just happened. And so I go, and I sit down um, on the front row of my dad's funeral, and all these men stand up, and they're, and they're talking about him. And the common thread among all these men speaking was that, man, when, when you get sick, you got a year to live, when you have six months to live, you have the ability to look back on life and figure out, man, am I doing this thing right? Like, like how am I using my time? Am, am I wasting it? I said, Jeff Story didn't have that opportunity. He just, he just died. Man, but, but the beauty of what God has done in his life is that, man, he didn't need that time. He understood God's call on his life, and he was serving, he was pouring himself out for the sake of the gospel every day, and the Lord used him in phenomenal ways, and he had more of an impact on the kingdom in 50 years than most guys do in 100. And what an incredible testimony of what the Lord did through his life. And I sat there on the front row, just absolutely rocked by the fragility of life, thinking, man, I've got X amount of days on this earth, and I don't know what that number is. And everything that I'm chasing is about me. Everything I'm chasing is about my own glory, my own fame, my own just this desire to be impressive. And the Lord began to speak to me and says, hey, are you exhausted yet? And I was like, yeah. He said, isn't it exhausting to think about spending your whole life serving yourself and you're just going to end up in a box? I said, yeah. He said, so how about you try serving someone greater? I said, all right. So I didn't know what that looked like, right? So I, I said, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm going I'm to serve you. I'm going to do, I guess, ministry. <laughs> and so uh, I applied to seminary. And I thought, all right, Lord, now I'm going to go to seminary. Um, but I'm going to meet you halfway because I'm not quite ready to give up the whole music thing. And so the way that I kind of talked with the Lord about it is I was like, all right, Lord, like now I'm going to use my platform not for me but for you. So I'm really I'm doing you a favor. So I'm going to keep doing music for you, um, he's like, that's not how it works, bro. And, uh, and so the fall started, and everything in my musical career just dried up. Like, in the, in the spring, it's like there was, there was a faucet that was on, and, like, water was just gushing out, and then all of a sudden, it's like, and it just, like, stopped. And so I was so confused. I was like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, this is so weird. And then I get a call one day from a buddy who's a DJ at 95.9 The Ranch down in downtown. And he goes, hey, man, uh, I haven't had you on the show in a while. And so he has this show called the Texas Red Dirt Road Show, which is this kind of like uh, singer-songwriter song swap type deal. 
And he said, hey, man, um, I have Randy Rogers coming in. Uh, do you want to play with him on, on the show? Now, um, if you don't know who he is, he was my idol. That's the guy that I wanted to be. I was a country singer, which is kind of weird if you know, know me. But, again, college station, so you got to do something, right? And, um, and so I was like, dude, yes. And I just, like, that was this, like, moment where I thought, like, man, the clouds are parting, and this is awesome. Like, this is, like, the day where my career is going to bust open. Like, I'm going to go play beside this guy, and it's going to be awesome, and he's going to fall in love with me. Well, not me, but my music, because that would be weird. And so we're, we're sitting there, and, like, like he's going to just be, like, really, like, impressed, and we're going to go on tour, and it's going to be incredible, and we're going to vacation together. It's going to be awesome, right? And, uh, and so, so I go, and I, and I pick my five best songs, and I go, and I sit down, and it's just really exciting. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and then we're like, radio, and it's so cool. And so we're sitting there, and I start playing my first song. And about 30 seconds in, the Lord speaks again. He's like, hey, is this everything you thought it would be? And I look around at Randy, at the DJ, and at the people walking by, and I think, no. Like, is this it? And I was like, that, that was weird. I was like, surely that wasn't a thing, right? And so we go around again, and then it comes back to me, and I play another song, and, and halfway through, the Lord just kind of presses on my heart. He's like, hey, like, are you, are you tired yet? I was like, yeah. And it hit me, man, this is what I've spent the last five years of my life pouring myself into. This is all I have. This should be the most exciting day of my career, yet it just feels empty. It's not what I thought it would be. And the whole rest of the time, I just kind of sat there, and I was like, God, what's going on? And the Lord just spoke, and he's like, hey, I've given you everything you thought would satisfy you, and it leaves you empty. Man, come follow me. Let go of this idol of being impressive. Man, come follow me. This doesn't bring life. And so I, so I left, and my mom called, and she was like, hey, how was it? And I was like, honestly, it was awful. And she was like, no, baby, you was so good. And I'm like, no, like, not that, Mom. Like, thanks. And, uh, <laughs> and I was like, no, like, it was, it's, just, it's just empty. It's just empty. I was like, I, I'm just tired. I think I'm done. So I call the band. I call my manager. I say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm out. And so I walked away, um, and I take a job at this church called Christ Chapel, um, where I, the only job I can get, because I have no experience at all, is a high school ministry intern, part-time, making $10 an hour, working with freshman boys. And if you've ever been around a 14-year-old guy, they're awkward. And, um, and, I was, and I just found myself in a place where I was like, there is nothing impressive about this, right? Like, like, from the world standpoint, even from, like, the church standpoint, it's like, oh, that guy. <laughs> and, uh, and it's like, there's nothing impressive about being a 23-year-old guy making $10 an hour, right? Like, like you're, you're wasting your life. But you know what I found in that moment? Like, I, I lost that, that ability to be impressive, but I gained something that music never gave me. That was Joy and peace, and fulfillment, and a sense of purpose, and a sense of rest, knowing that, man, it didn't matter what people thought about me, because I, I chased that, right? And, and the Lord allowed me to, to actually have what I want, which sometimes that, that's the most dangerous thing in the world, for God to actually allow you to have what you crave. 
and he allowed me to have it just so I could see, man, that's, that's really, really unsatisfying. I mean, when I finally let go, the, the reality is, I mean, I didn't lose anything, but I gained so much. And when people ask me about that, that, that story, they, they always say, man, like, do you ever, like, wish that you would have just seen what would have happened? I mean, like, do you ever wish? Like, I, I, feel like, like you, I feel like you just kind of gave up. I said, man, I didn't give up anything. Man, because what I gained, music can never give me. And that's the beauty of, man, when we let go of the idols in our life, man, we don't lose anything, but we gain stuff that all these things can never actually satisfy. And, but let me just show you really quick as, as we close the depth of what we gain when we let go of these idols. Look with me at verse 28. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And Jesus is clear, man, that when we leave everything, when we let go of everything that we crave in order to follow him, there is great gain and great reward. But let me tell you what that gain and reward is not. That's not health, wealth, prosperity. It's not riches. It's not any of those things. It's not like, okay, I'm going to give up this, this money over here so I can follow you, hoping that you'll give that back to me, right? Like, that's not how it works. Like, like he's not going to give us the idols that we, that we just gave up, right? And, and there's a lot of teachers out there who, who will tell you, man, if you come to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And just, just come to, to, to Jesus, and he's going to give you all, the, all, all these money and cars and wealth and all this other stuff. But that's not how it works. That's not what we gain. What we gain is better. And, th- and this may sound so bizarre to you, but what we gain is right relationship with God. And that blows any of that other stuff out of the water. And I'll t- tell you why. We believe here unapologetically and that our sin fractures our relationship with God. That because of our rebellion, we have become enemies of God. This holy, perfect, just, loving God of the universe has separated himself from us because of our sin. That's terrifying. Yet Jesus, he comes for us. And he walks among us and he lives the life that we can never live. And he died in our place, absorbing the wrath of God. So the wrath that we have rightfully earned because of our rebellion, Jesus takes on himself and he takes it to the grave. But then he rose. And in rising, he has conquered the power of sin and death forever. Now he has ascended at the right hand of God, interceding for us pleading our case before the Lord. So now when God sees us, he no longer sees us as as strangers or as enemies or as unclean. He sees us as holy and spotless and blameless. We're, We're not strangers. We're sons. We're daughters. We've been brought into the family of God because of Christ. And so now when we approach God, there's boldness and there's confidence. No more guilt. No more shame. He sees us and Jesus says, hey, that's my boy. I paid for that. All of that guilt, all of that shame, it's gone. I covered that. And we have a right relationship with the God of the universe because of Christ. That's what we gain. That's what we gain. The beauty of the gospel is that we get God, and that's enough. 
We get God, and he is more than enough. Now, here's the deal. I can't make you believe that. I can't make you believe that, that Jesus is actually better than the things that you've convinced are going to satisfy you. Like, I can tell you what scripture says. I can tell you my story. I can, I can plead with you. I can try to be as creative as I possibly can. But I don't have the ability as a communicator to make you believe that Jesus is better. The Holy Spirit has to graciously open your eyes to the idea, or the reality, rather, that all these things that we chase, all these things that we refuse to give up, actually bring emptiness and brokenness when Jesus brings life. The Spirit has to open your eyes to see that sin is bitter and Jesus is sweet. But the cool thing is that's exactly what God does. Look back at verse 26. After Jesus begins to explain that, man, you need to give up everything you have to follow me, his disciples say, man, then who can be saved? And he says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. He says, man, he says, this guy doesn't have the ability to see that I'm better than what he craves. But what's impossible with men is possible with God. So my prayer for you tonight is that the God of the universe graciously opens your eyes to see him as better. Because he is. And, and, and my hope is, is that you don't have to hit rock bottom. My hope is that you don't have to taste the fullness of how empty these things are that he speaks to you, and before you even have to taste the depths of how empty it is, we run to the Father, and our response is to just let go. And I say, I, I see clearly that you are better than the things that I chase after. But maybe you're in here, and, and, and that's not where you are. Maybe you don't see that, and you're sitting here and think, man, I, I, I hear that. I see what you're saying, but to be honest, man, I, I don't really buy it. I'm still in a place where I can't really envision a scenario where Jesus is better than, than, than power. I can't envision a scenario where Jesus is better than a relationship or better than status or control or whatever else it is. And if that's you, again, man, we're so pumped that you're here, and I'm, I'm glad that you can come and we can talk and we can wrestle with these ideas. I mean, I would love to challenge you tonight just to let go and see what happens. I think back to that. That, that C.S. Lewis quote, how we are like these little kids who are just so ignorant of what's on the other side. I mean, we've, I think so many of us, myself included, we've, we've just never taken the time to actually just let go and see what happens. Like, I'm, I'm so convinced that, man, this is going to satisfy when I've never even, I've never even gone to the beach. Like, I think my slum is so good, my mud pies are so good, that I've never actually taken the time to go see what's going down at the sea. I firmly believe that, man, if we were to just let go and see what happens, the Lord's going to reveal that he's so much better, so much better than we can ever even possibly imagine. So, man, this card's on the table, man. My, my prayer tonight is so simple. And it's that the Lord speaks to you, that he moves in such a way that whatever it is that we're holding on to, whatever it is that we believe is going to satisfy us, that we just simply let go. We run to the Lord and respond by saying, hey, all I have is yours. My life is yours. I'm letting go. I don't, I don't want these things because I know that you're better. Because the reality is that because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, we get right relationship with God. And at the end of the day, man, that's what matters. And we get God, and he is enough. And my prayer is that the Lord allows us to see that tonight.
because he's so much better. Let's pray. Father, I am, I thank you for um, just the truth of your word tonight. Um, that was spoken through your son that, that there are so many things that we just convince ourselves are going to satisfy. So many things that we convince ourselves are going to bring joy and bring life. And the reality is that, man, they're, they're just pathetic and they're disappointing compared to the infinite joy that's offered to you or offered to us through your son. And so, Lord, for, for all of us in the room tonight, my, my prayer is that you just continue to stir our affections for more of you, that you stir our hearts for more of you, that you continue to open our eyes to the things that we think are going to satisfy us, that they, they just leave us empty, and that you continue to open our eyes to see that you are so much better than the things that, that we crave. Or will you make us believe tonight in our hearts that you're better? Father, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.